credit safe podcast started by recent college grads with a shared love for film to bring some diversity into contemporary film criticism. We want to bring to the table a different and authentic voice when discussing films made by Asian filmmakers. In today's film, we will be discussing The Joy Luck Club, directed by Wayne Wan and written by Amy Tan. So we don't talk about it as you know being depressed or something related to like having mental illness because there's moments of sadness or periods of sadness and then just trying to navigate that and see in the films just how they really use the metaphors for it in terms of like a house that was crumbling or kind of wasn't doing very well back then at least so like I mean there's like sexual oppressions almost like all, all of them went through. So I think that might be one of the reasons they wanted to come to the US. And I think like even now, just saying like in, in general, in Asia, in America, it's almost like this notion of like, just like modern. And like American dream was, which almost like died within the US, but it's still a thing in Asia. And definitely resonated with you in that because so many times when the whole family switches over to Chinese or Zodiac, and I'm just like, me and my sibling grow that's not understanding what's happening in the conversation. Leaving my, my home, right, and coming to America thinking my life's going to be better, only to not really be better. I'm just dealing with a set of different cultural institutional problems, like you said. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining and thank you for having me as a guest. Thank you so much, Jamie. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself on what you're working on right now? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Jamie Atalano. I am a recent graduate from the University of Maryland. I'm also an upcoming author for a working novel called Mala and the Mask of Gold, which actually is in regards to Filipinx mythology and floors around Southeast Asia and uh, history and culture and fantasy. So that's a little bit about me. I identify as they them gender fluid i'm an immigrant from the philippines thank you so much all right i guess we can go around and all introduce ourselves so i'm sophie i've been on a couple episodes before and i use they them theirs yeah i'm sia i was hoping to the past episode so far i went to the same school with sophie and here again hey i'm emily i'm also from the same school as (laughs) sophie and sia and i've only been on one other episode but happy to be here nice nice Okay, so to hear it, we love to see it. I guess I can go and move forward into just discussing the film. For those who haven't seen The Joy Luck Club, it is a really wonderful and moving story, really stories about you know, four daughters and their four different mothers and really going to the journey of each of them. They transition from daughter to mother and seeing the different struggles that each of them have, but also having that same connection between each of the families um, as we go see, you know, sacrifice and trauma from their lives, their mother's lives in China and them now and their daughter's lives being in America. So it's, it's very, very complex novel and story and film there's so many (laughs) uh topics to really go about but i guess for me i really related a lot with waverly and waverly's mom i don't know if the folks in the podcast also go about that there are a lot of different traits so my question is for the group which character did y'all feel was more like you and, and and their mother was like and how was that like if you can relate back so for me i think honestly like one of the most the relationships that probably hit home for me was with Ying Ying and Lena Sinclair. 
So between the two of them, I know personally in my family, there's not really a discussion of mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, And there's definitely not a discussion of like when it comes to like mental illness. And if there's no discussion of like what it is or naming it, then there's not really consideration of like treatment then or like necessarily like ways of how to handle it. So I know personally in my family relationship, hearing talk about like how she had no spirit left to give is a way that we kind of discuss depression in my family so we don't talk about it as you know being depressed or something related to like having mental illness we discuss it as moments of sadness or periods of sadness and then just trying to navigate that and see in the film use the metaphors for it in terms of like a house that was crumbling or built on an unsteady foundation or just again (laughs) the relation to the spirit really hit home for me no thank you so much for bringing it up because i really do feel like that relationship and metaphor of using the spirit and it really does relate back to chinese cultural heritage and spiritual culture and also relating back to your own family and your own culture of spirituality because i'm sure most of us know growing up in asian households mental health is not something that you know is is seen as you know usually real because uh, it's not something that they can physically see so thank you for sharing that anyone else in the guests would like to go for myself i think i resonate more with like waverly as well mm. but i think in terms of like my relationship with like my parents i think my family dynamics is like more similar to june and her mother right. i think it's like probably common for like a lot of asian families so like Im- really like immigrants families in general just because there's a need to be like successful mm-hmm. because like it's generally much yeah. harder for us so your par- our parents would usually want us to just try harder and for first generation immigrants especially like in the film i think a lot of them might be like well educated but like when they come here they have to give up the yeah. past guys in their home countries and then take on some like really just like low level occupations and back then racism was prevalent it was hard for them to succeed i kind of understand why my parents and maybe like the character's parents have this like desire to push their kids really hard and want them to succeed but i also feel like it's those like projections sometimes can be like suffocating yes yeah you bring up a very like great and important point again even just echoing what you were saying just how the film especially with auntie lindo and waverly's relationship like you could see auntie lindo in the beginning when she was growing up how her own mother kind of like just gave her away basically right and how she was able to she had to like fight to like leave and kind of finesse out of her situation to you know get out of a marriage of, of being basically sold to this family you know because of a matchmaker and then bringing those kind of that kind of like trauma right to america to this when she immigrated and she wanted better for her daughter basically right because she didn't really have that like that same love that she got from her mother and so she was always kind of like putting i felt like all this pressure onto waverly because she didn't have those same opportunities right that waverly has now in america when she was growing up as a child she kind of had to get out of her situation whereas you know waverly is here given this opportunity in america and just she's just is so proud of her from that sense but it like you said it there's a consequence to that right that feeling of that weight of pressure i think there's even a quote from the movie where waverly even mentions when she decides to play chess again she says something really powerful like all the secrets i once saw i couldn't see them anymore you know i couldn't even blame my mother all, all my mother about that because that was me too and so it's just really such a strong powerful way of like where that where does that pressure come from from our mothers right i mean that comes from 
a lot that comes from their backgrounds and growing up when, you know, they were not in America. And then just kind of like transfers back and projects onto us as we're growing up here in America. And we just kind of have to navigate and deal with that in the, the healthiest way possible as much as we can. And I think even like the barbershop scene where they were all like crying together finally before the wedding, we can finally be together and be happier um, in our relationship. So thank you for sharing that. First of all, I just want to say this movie like absolutely wrecked me. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. I, I agree. was crying for so long today. I had like a headache afterwards. But, I've seen this movie three um, times and I've cried too, honey. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I would say I'm not really sure. I, I think there's elements of all the relationships that I resonated with, mm -hmm. especially quotes from the, the mother saying like, oh, I was raised the Chinese way and this is how I, this is how you should be doing things, right? And being a second generation mm -hmm. Chinese American, like that's a that's a line I've heard a lot. Right. Just like I don't think my parents actively tried to assimilate us into like American culture, quote unquote. But instead, there was there's this push for my family at least to be more Chinese or to like go back to those types types of right, traditions right. and cultures and ways of relating to family that I guess just aren't part of how we were raised in the most like American way. And another thing is that I felt this guilt mm -hmm. uh, personally mm -hmm. about not knowing about my parents very much. And that's something that June said in the beginning, like, I don't know anything about my mother. And I was like, dude, same. But also it showed that this whole movie showed that none of the girls really knew a lot about their parents. Like right. they had all these these stories saying like, Oh, well, how can you not know your mother? Yet here are these all the mothers had these crazy histories children could never really possibly understand. Or at least if there was a silence around those types of stories. I think is something the whole time I was thinking like, I gotta start talking to my parents more about this type of stuff just to hear their experiences because right. unlike June, I don't think there would be people I could go to to ask about my parents. That's where I resonated and why I was left sobbing. <laughs> no, no, you brought up, Emily, you brought up a, a lot of really great points, even just the call back to what you just said about just the daughters really not knowing their mothers right and that that's real sometimes I feel like watching the movie as we all kind of saw together the mothers you know in a way kind of like hid a lot of that from their daughters because I think that was like you know the main reason they wanted to kind of like run away from their their past trauma and and pain but the, at the end of the day they couldn't ever right run away from it right because their pain ended up transferring to their own daughters and they could see that and, and it was like this realization I think I think the most apparent one was probably Rose's relationship with I believe Auntie Anmei where Rose was the end of her you know journey she was losing her voice right when she ended up dating and marrying this like rich white man who who's like comes from this like famous you know journalism family um in the beginning she was so independent she was not afraid to challenge you know question him and then she ends up like losing her voice throughout this entire relationship finally we can see where later at the end of the scene she's like in the rain like sitting outside her house and she's like oh my god no like this is my house you're not going to take anything away from me i think the powerful scene was when she ended up speaking like she was auntie anme's mother so like like she was actually like her grandmother, right? Like I ate opium and died. Like it was kind of like a rebirth scene and it comes full circle, you know? And I think this can relate to all of us with our own parents, you know? Like they can try and hide their own pain and their own past, but at the end of the day, that past comes back. It's all comes full circle. It carries generationally 
through all of us as we move forward and it'll it'll carry generationally to our own you know children and families and i think it it does you know put this like new way of looking to things of how we can really connect with our mothers and parents a lot more better you know when it's not too late like you know i think auntie anme was like it was really hard for her because she was like for my mom it was too late you know she she it was too late for her to find her voice but it wasn't too late for me and it's not too late for you. And I think that was like really powerful. And so I definitely like echoed a lot with what you were saying on that standpoint. All right. So my next kind of question, I guess, can go into the overall arching symbol of the swan and feather. And this really comes in the beginning, right? Where I believe June is narrating about the story of the swan and this feather and really about how this was this symbol of hope she had for her own children, how it kind of, again, comes full circle, right? In the end of the, the journey of the movie where June finds the swan feather that was supposed to be gifted to her and then she kind of completes it by meeting her sisters back in China. I really just kind of wanted to talk more about that symbol of, of hope and, you know, we can kind of go into this in different ways, but how has that symbol kind of resonated with you? Does Do you and your, your family have any types of symbols of hope coming into any type of culture. So for me, the symbol of, of hope regarding the swan and the swan feather, I think was such a beautiful story because it really relates back to my own mother. So like going deeper here, you know, I'm an immigrant from the Philippines and my mother's an immigrant from the Philippines. And, you know, my mother had her own story where she actually immigrated. She immigrated outside the Philippines to come to America. And she was actually separated from me and my older brother at the time when we were younger. And so she always, so when she was in America, she only had $200 in her pocket. She, our, her kids were back in the Philippines. So like, imagine us, like, I'm only like, I think four at the time. And then I'm just like, okay, my mother is gone. Like, where did she go? And she's going to, to she left for a better life with this like, willingness to to get us back right and this is really why that symbol of the swan is so powerful and why i kind of like it really hurt me a lot right with when i saw june's mother's story where she like abandoned her kids at a time when i was growing up i felt that my mom had abandoned me when in reality she had always been trying to fight for us to come back into her life she was trying to create this better life for us you know here in america and i had no understanding of that you know growing up as a kid Eventually, of course, you know, my mother and I reunited later, years later, when I finally came to America when I was like nine and finally got to live with my mother here. I did go through a lot of journeys where I was separated from my mother at a young age and really didn't know. And it was my mother's hope that kept her fighting. Like my mother would always say, like, I had to fight so hard. It was my hope to bring y'all here. And she did it. Like she like manifested that because I can't imagine, you know, having kids and having to leave them for years and having to rely on that hope to bring my children over and to create this life that she's created for me and my brothers. That's really what that symbol of hope meant for me and my family. I don't think, you know, I don't have a swan feather that can relate, but my mother has a necklace. It's like a diamond necklace that she always had. You know, she's given to me for times um, and eventually I will inherit that necklace from her. So if anyone has some sort of like similar story or would like to go about that as well. <clears throat> so I know for the case of my mother, she came from Jakarta in the 90s mm -hmm. and she came with a set of expectations i'd say and unfortunately i think one of those expectations was something of assimilation mm. in terms of, there was a quote in the movie in the film the characters like emphasized how it was expected that they speak perfect english 
and I know that like my first mother essentially when my mom was like working all the time was my grandmother who came over here before her visa ran out and I would only speak with my grandmothers my grandmother was taking care of me and so I spoke fluent Bahasa when I was little but then when my grandma's visa ran out she had to return to Jakarta and I ended up starting kindergarten and there was a point where it was only expected that I speak English but it was also expected of me that I had to lose the accent I had and I remember, no. like, kind of getting made fun of for having a lisp and not being able to pronounce, like, the TH, because that just doesn't, it didn't exist in Bahasa. The only thing that I could, it's not really a symbol of hope, but, like, I guess, like, there was a set of expectations, and unfortunately one of those was assimilation, and, like, now it's just kind of taking the time to unlearn that and, like, learn Bahasa Indonesian again, like, past the level of, like, a little kid, and just kind of trying to find a way to reconnect and stuff like that. No, thank you, Sophie, for sharing that. I think, again, that, that comes with the rawness of, you know, coming to America. And I feel like it's this idea of, like, the better life, right? But in reality, there's those negative experiences as well of assimilating to, you know, quote-unquote, American culture. And I can definitely, that definitely feel that because when I came to America, I had to lose my natural language of Visaya. And I, I had to speak English every day. Um, and I totally understand completely, you know, that basically loss of you know the our natural tongue um from our homeland and everything same here uh it's never too late to you know basically you know touch back into our roots and i'm doing that now as well trying to just like get in touch with my culture and everything so thank you for sharing that and i also want to just like build on what sophie said about like language that's one thing that i noticed like throughout the film to like loss of language which contributed to the barriers between the mothers and the daughters because yeah. they almost essentially speak different language and that made me like think about my parents because my parents didn't really speak english because of this like language barrier there's like a gap between us because right now i feel like even my friends won't be able to like communicate well with my parents if they don't speak chinese Right. Um, and say like vice versa remember there was like one thing i think june was like saying no chinese here how do i know that you're not cheating this phrase like no chinese here when i was going to like secondary schools if i'm like talking chinese back in canada at the time mm -hmm. um they would tell us to like stop i feel like there was also like a forced removal of like your mother tongue i feel like language is such an important part I'm just like worried like later on when my parents get older and they lose like even the basic English that they know how are they going to communicate with maybe like my kids in the future if they don't speak Chinese like I used to like not understand why parents put kids to like language schools but like now I feel that's something that I might do oh wow that's powerful Sia like thank you and like I think that's also brings like this total notion of a literal barrier right through language and like the challenge of like cultural translation and cultural you know assimilation and everything and just the uh, idea of like the problem being you know having an immigrant identity or growing up as maybe like a second generation child and speaking english where your parents you know don't or not as uh don't speak english as much so that is really important and that even to move forward and say like language is going to be one of those powerful things that bridges anybody and i i do want to echo that as well maybe have my kids also learn some different languages too and i didn't know if um emily if you were gonna go next yeah i mean i'm just thinking but particularly on the topic of language 
that's been something for me that have always wanted to learn. I always wanted to learn Tagalog and I always wanted to learn Chinese because that's what my family speak. But I'm half Chinese. There's this added pressure of I think like not being Chinese enough if you don't know Chinese and you can't speak Chinese. I went to a very international school for high school, and mm. there was there were the Asian Americans, and then there were the mainland Chinese students who had their own like social group. And I was always scared to go and befriend them because they would always be speaking Mandarin, and I obviously right. couldn't understand, and I still don't, and I still can't. <laughs> but I think as as the child of an immigrant there's this maybe it's either pressure or like deep desire that's inherent i think at least for me and my siblings to want to learn the native language of your parents in order to feel more connected to them but also culture where they came from and also i don't know i don't know what i'm saying i don't know no, it's but, all good um, yeah in the line oh don't speak chinese here obviously i never said that to any of my relatives but i could definitely resonate with june in that because there'll be times when the whole family switches over to chinese or tagalog and i'm just like left me and my siblings are all left not understanding what's happening in the conversation i don't know if i think it it stems more it's rooted more deeply in like a larger conversation about my own identity as half Asian, second generation American. Yes, yeah, so at the end when June was like speaking speaking perfect Chinese, I was like, wait, what the heck? Yeah, that, that caught me on guard too. I thought you couldn't speak Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling, but. No, I, I totally agree. But because I feel like it's hard on both sides, right? Like from the daughter's perspective, especially like if you're not fluent in that language, like you are automatically excluded from the conversation that's happening at a table. But for the mothers who picked up English like years later, like when they're not like at the perfect age to master language, English itself is just like not natural to them. And it's hard for them to like express themselves fully. So when they're with their peers, so like aka the other mothers, I think Chinese becomes like just like a more comfortable way to speak. Especially I'm guessing they won't have other ways to express themselves or like speak so naturally or freely for the majority of Americans who they encounter every day. Y'all both bought some really great points regarding that and you know, thank you for sharing your stories, you know, with the the struggles that come with, you know, language and translation and assimilating with American culture. I think all of those complexities all definitely just, you know, make it harder. And I think just, you know, echoing what you said, Emily, right? Like you, you're having to deal with two languages right at home, like Tagalog and Chinese or Mandarin. It's something that is, is not easy to do. And I've even kind of like felt that too in my, my Filipinx home, Filipino home. It's like, for, for me, it's actually sometimes it's Chavacano, which is broken Spanish and or Visaya or Tagalog. And it's like different languages in the house, depending on the family that you're visiting. So then, you know, I'm just here like, OK, I, I, I don't know all of these languages. And I feel like my identity is like very lost here at most points. So I'm really glad in, to hear that it also happens to other folks as well. But also hoping, you know, that there is some sort of like silver lining in the end. We don't really lose our identity or our, our, our culture in the fact that we may not know our language or our home language as much as our parents or other family members do. I think it's also, there's an additional layer of 
desire to feel closer and identify more, at least personally, with non-American culture because there, I personally have so many issues with America as an institution and as, as a nation. For so that's sure. like a whole nother, that's like a whole nother <laughs> layer to everything. Like wanting to distance yourself from one of like the worst imperial powers. But there's Snaps. also obviously the, the idea that our parents, or at least my parents came to America with, which is like this American dream, like, and with that, this is also separate. With that, that's also like the pinnacle of the American dream is like getting your kid getting to Harvard, which never happened. But I think there's, there's a disconnect, at least in my family, between my siblings and our parents because of those two different lenses of what it means to be American and what America really stands for. So I guess I'm, I'm curious about what you guys think of that. Yeah, no, the, those are some great points. And I think it, it's all interconnected as well. I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, in the film, and they, they, they brought up this theme a lot of good intentions, right? Like their mothers had good intentions. The, the intention portion is the, the piece. Like I feel like them coming to America or like the why was it America right like why did they feel like they needed to leave China to get like a better life I feel like that wasn't explained as much but more of just like basically them basically saying like okay it was our our intention for you to have a good life and we just wanted you to have a good life and I felt like that was in a way in a way you know I wish it delved more deeper into that idea because why do we feel why do folks from Asia whether that's East Asia Southeast Asia feel that America is this idea of a better life outside of their own country, right? Um, and I've also struggled with that, you know, growing up in America, leaving my, my home, right, and coming to America thinking my life is going to be better only to, you know, not really be better. I'm just dealing with a set of different cultural institutional problems, like you said, especially when it comes to like police brutality, right? When it comes to just a lot of issues politically and just with healthcare and the way that we've dealt with the coronavirus, not all the best compared to other countries, factually. But that is an important notion to definitely explore. And I wish the film did explore more into that reasoning, like why the mothers felt that America was that escape, I guess, for their dreams. And I don't think that it really delved deeper into that which could also be that kind of disconnect as well with their children yeah i feel like it was kind of suggested in the film like why do they think america is a better place as we think like from the film it's like they all went through like some traumatic histories like in china i think that was like pre-war oh, yeah. area or like during world war second and china wasn't doing very well back then at least i mean there's like sexual oppressions almost like all all of them went through so I think that might be one of the reasons they wanted to come to the U.S. And I think like even now, just like in, in general, in Asia, like American is almost like this notion of like, just like modern. And like American dream was, which almost like died within the U.S. It's still a thing in Asia. I can't speak for like all, all the countries like in Asia, but like at least like from what I know of like my own international experience and like my friends, at least like, in East Asia, Southeast Asia, and South Asia, it's very common for like family to want to push their kids to like go abroad for their kids to have a better life, quote unquote. But I feel that was like changed a lot recently. Like I think even when I was in high school, I wanted to leave Canada to come to the US, like with the same idea that it is better. And I wanted to stay here so much in my freshman year. But then there's like all those like visa issues and like 
I just feel like the country it just isn't as welcoming as it used to be because U.S. was like built by immigrants. If we really want to go back to like hundreds of years earlier, I don't know if you guys like heard about like the recent policies regarding international workers with like H one B visa, etc., etc. So like I think like almost like my notion towards the U.S. like also changed. I think my freshman years, I really, really wanted to stay. I was like trying my best to like get a work visa, and that almost like hindered what I can do in the U.S. It's almost the opposite. I like come here because like I wanted to do film, especially. Then later I found out it's almost impossible for、um, international to work here in the film industry because they need huge sponsorship, and almost like only like tech corporate or like financial corporate are able to do that. Because of that, I realized oh, like this American dream. It's almost like a lie, and I don't know if I want to stay here that much. After I thought through that, I feel it's a miss. You know, it's like I was like, after seeing what US is doing, like I'm sorry, guys, but like it's it's really not doing well. Like especially how they handled the COVID. Almost like every country like contained the COVID within three months. Like even Italy. What's going on here? I don't even know when this is gonna end. I still can't see my friends like freely in day to day basis. I don't know. I just hope the election changes stuff. All right, Sia. Thank you so much for bringing that. And again, like great call out. The time frame of the movie, of course, the history of like the war and like why they came to escape of those things, and of course, yeah. Super important call out there, and also just the way that、um, immigration was perceived back then. It just, it's just, I, I'm not sure. Like, I can't compare how xenophobia was back then. You know, at the time that the movie was created and based in,、uh, but for sure, as you mentioned here, how you know our current policies are very much very xenophobic and against a lot of you know, as you said, like international students are struggling, very much struggling. Not even just like you know, staying here, surviving here, right? And we can even talk about undocumented families as. Well, who you know have been here also for years, and then are also struggling with the, the 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 laws that allow them to stay here, and it's just because of the you know policies and the the type of leadership that is kind of like consequences of that type of leadership, racist leadership, and so forth. And so I totally you know what you're saying makes a lot of sense,、um, and you should be definitely raw in your feelings about it,、um, especially since it's affecting you firsthand. So definitely appreciate your your candor in that. So yeah, um, in as we've kind of like gone throughout the podcast, really talking about some really deep, complex narratives that really center the film and how us four have kind of like. You know, dealt with these you know very similar themes like really crossing、um, cross generationally in you know our own families. I really wanted to also delve into you know how the movie was portraying these types of stories. How you know calling back to how I said it in the beginning, this this movie, this film is stories within stories, right? And it, it's the power of its storytelling and the use of tradition that I found was very compelling. A lot of like main characters, right? Like I don't think June is like the the main character. Like I think all of them are the main characters. So that was like really interesting, and so I really wanted to kind of just like talk more about that type of storytelling and how powerful and impact impactful that was to see it in essentially you know kind of like eight different stories happening at once in just one film, but how it all tied to that one similar theme going forward. So I wanted to see how everyone kind of felt. You know, did the movie do a really good job in that, and how you know that portrayed for you in a in a type of film lens? I'm not, you know, a film major myself, but I did take a film class back at the University of Maryland, and these types of story structures are very, of course, like very different, like not what you see 
in the in a type of movie where it's just like one type of storyline from the beginning to end getting to see different types of stories being told like that but also staying in that similar alignment of and brings it all into that one theme of hope right and good intentions and family and cultural challenges i think was very beautifully told and written um and very very unique in in the way that amy tan was able to write in in her story and in the way that director i believe wayne wang was able to tell it in film and really showcase that visually um, I think was very beautiful. So, and just to rephrase my question, how did everyone feel about the way that the story was told? Basically, the storytelling, the tradition, did everyone feel like it was done beautifully or did you enjoy the way that it was told? I personally liked it. I personally enjoyed it right? and not as traditionally told in, in what we see in US media. We don't see like eight types of stories in one like that usually in the big screen. So I wanted to see how others had felt about that way of storytelling. So I think for me, I think it's a reasonable choice because like the original story was also, you know, like a portrait of many people, not just like one protagonist especially for immigrant families they are so different but also so similar so i think the film did a good job in terms of like showing those different aspects and different portraits going back to our first question we can all resonate with like at least one character or at least one family in the film so i think that was a good choice however i have like a mixed feeling about like the narrations Throughout the film, I think it's like an overuse, though we all understand there's a lot of inner dialogues, but I feel the director could have not relied so much on text or narrations. And then in terms of like filmmaking, I thought the acting was not so good. At least like those scenes like uh, shot in China. Yeah, I can see that's an act. So that was my thoughts. In terms of the reliance on narration, I found that I found that powerful in a way of pointing to oral storytelling and how these histories are passed down. Usually, usually you're not seeing a film of your parents' history, right? You're seeing you're hearing them tell the story if they tell you the story at all, or you're hearing someone else tell the story about them. Mm-hmm. So I think that element of oral storytelling was important in the narration, um, but also in the structure, in that spoken histories all at once you know they're like mixed out Mm. throughout your life and then you like piece together a picture of your parents history or your ancestors history so i think in by looking at the film through like an oral history lens the narration and the structure made a lot of sense to me so i read the book oh god i think it was probably a decade ago now um so a while ago yeah looking at sia's point it did seem like they remained very faithful to the source material which is which is it's it's good because you're staying true to the story but when adapting it for the screen it does get pretty difficult in a book there's a lot of inner dialogue going on there's a lot of thoughts and storytelling that takes place in a very internal world but for me as a viewer honestly the things that kind of just drew me in were how powerful and kind of visceral some of the images were. So when it came to like the crushed glass pearls, alongside that scene, again, of the motif for the swan feather, just moments of like really raw emotion and crying and tears are just kind of immediate images that kind of draw my mind. Beautiful Mm -hmm. and also kind of claustrophobic images that just kind of come to mind. No, thank you so much. Yeah, these were all some really great points, especially in the way that I feel like director Wang went about 
you know, showcasing it from the book. I think it really did just to keep it as much to the source material as possible as well. But of course, you know, you can only do so much in, in the type of like inner dialogues that are happening throughout. But I think overall as well, I, I believe that the film did a good job in, in the best way. But also to see it as well, like in the scene, some scenes you could tell were like maybe like not as immersive as well. And so I totally understand that too. And I think that's what kind of makes it hard sometimes when you have a lot of different stories happening around. It's finding a lot of different characters and different people to like act out those scenes too. So totally, totally cool, cool, cool. Love that. No, yeah, yeah. So I don't have any other questions. I think all three of you were, had some very, very insightful perspectives on the film. And I really, really appreciated each of the real and raw, you know, stories that you were sharing with us and also just about your own family perspectives and how it related with the film, whether that was very different or very similar in that aspect. How, and also sharing your perspectives as well on how the film was narrated and, you know, kind of like adapted from its original source material, which was the book by Amy Tan. And said a lot of the really deeper points um, about the film. I know for me, like as a gender fluid person, you know, I, I, it was a lot different, right? Because there's no LGBTQ plus characters within the film. But I always felt like my, my relationship with my mother was like a daughter and mother relationship. So I could still have that, you know, same similar, you know, reflections between the four different daughters, even though I grew up you know, with a different lens um, being queer. I definitely did enjoy everything. I enjoyed everyone's perspectives from that. And I guess we can just conclude this session of after credits. Thanks for, thanks so much for hosting, Jamie. You were awesome. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all are awesome. I appreciate y'all so much. Sophie, Sia, Emily, thank you so much again. Um, and I am so grateful and honored to have been a host for tonight's episode.